as we go to the word today, uh, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know I'm preaching through the book of First Peter, uh, because First Peter gives fantastic hope to people who had been displaced, who had been ripped out of their homes, who were living in a strange place, who didn't know what the future was like, and Peter writes and gives them solid encouragement that I believe will help us in a year like 2020. However, uh, since I thought I was going to be by myself with a camera, I did not plan on continuing my series in 1 Peter today, and so I've got a message for you from the book of Philippians that I've entitled, A Solid Rock in Shifting Sand. A Solid Rock in Shifting Sand. So I want to invite you, if you have a Bible with you, or if you want to use your phone or whatever, uh, turn to the book of Philippians. And I want to point to the example of the Apostle Paul, who did not know what the future held for him, and yet, with utmost faith, He said that for him to live was Christ and to die was gain so that it did not matter what happened to him. His faith was solid and his hope was sure and it's my prayer that that will be true of each and every one of us. As 2020 began to be crazier and crazier back in March and and then in April, I started thinking this is a little bit like juggling, you know, where you feel like you've got more things to hang on to than you can possibly hold and then I thought, that's not, that's not good enough. Maybe it's like juggling knives, and that felt maybe a little bit better. But then I thought, no, I, I think it's worse than that. I think it's like juggling knives on a unicycle. And then I thought, maybe, maybe it's like juggling knives on a unicycle on a surfboard in shark-infested waters with tsunami sirens going off in the distance And it just seems like no matter what happens, you think, this is it, this is it. And then something else comes along and makes things seem even worse. And I think in part, that's because we are used to so much stability and so much blessing in our day-to-day lives. We don't know what to do when uncertain things happen. And yet, when the good news of Jesus was preached that Christ had died for our sins and risen from the dead, the world was in utter chaos. And so I want to point to something that Paul said in the book of Philippians to help us have a solid rock in this year of insanity. As I've asked questions even just this week, like do we cancel service just because we feel sick? Any other year, we absolutely would not, especially if I feel well. Do we try to, to go into First Peter and go straight through the series, or is there a word from the Lord that is more fitting for this moment? And I try to ask the question of the Lord, Lord, what would bless your people? What would help us most in this time and in this place? And for so many of the questions that we ask in life, we don't have clear answers. And so we live with the question, did I make the right decision? Did I do the right thing? And as we look at Philippians, I believe what we gain is the confidence that when we are faithfully seeking the Lord, whatever happens to us and whatever choice we make, we can trust that the Lord is good and the Lord will take care of us. 
So to begin with, I want to point you to the Apostle Paul who assures his readers that the things that have happened in his life that seem genuinely terrible, all of those things have served to advance the gospel. So I'm in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15 and say just a little bit about what Paul is experiencing in his life. Verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I'll pause for just a second. What had happened to Paul was that he had been thrown in prison. So imagine you're the Apostle Paul, or you're someone who works alongside him. You are used to going into synagogues and standing on street corners and loudly proclaiming, which was normal back then. You would hear philosophers and different people from different faiths in the open square telling people what they believed, going around and teaching. And Paul is doing that and used to great amounts of freedom going to places that have never heard about Jesus and telling them about Jesus. He's a loud voice in the public square. Except that now, he's been arrested, and he lives chained to a prison guard. So if you go in the public square, there's no Paul. There's no one that that is like him preaching in the same way. So you might think the gospel isn't being preached anymore. You might think the church is not advancing. The church is retreating. And you could maybe say the same thing about what's happening in different churches, as I know a number of churches in our area have had to pause and not meet, some of them for months at a time. For us, it was about two months earlier this year. Some of the churches, if they have different issues of sickness, have had to, had to miss service for two weeks. And you might think, the gospel is not advancing. The gospel is retreating. You might think, Jesus isn't building his church. Jesus is watching his church fall apart. And Paul says this, From a jail cell, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. King Jesus has never lost a fight. He has never failed in any service as he builds his church. And Paul describes that on the surface, this looks like a defeat. But he says, verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now there are two things that I want us to see in these sections of verses. The main thing is that the gospel advances even when bad things happen. Okay, so if you're going to summarize it in one sentence, the gospel advances even when bad things happen. But there are two things that I want to point out that are absolutely critical. The first is this, that Paul's imprisonment gave him opportunities to share the gospel that he would not have had in the public square. Paul's imprisonment gave him opportunities to share the gospel that he would not have had in the public square. Most Roman soldiers were not sitting around listening to Jewish rabbis teach. They were from a different culture. They they, did not believe that Jewish rabbis possessed wisdom of any sort, and so they would not have listened to Paul in the public square. But when King Jesus said, Paul, I want to spread the gospel inside the imperial guard, he had Paul arrested, and then the guards couldn't get away from him. And so Paul's imprisonment served to advance the kingdom of Jesus in a place that Paul had not been reaching up to that point. Not only that, not only did King Jesus strategically positioned Paul in a place where he could spread the gospel. 
Paul's imprisonment encouraged other people to spread the gospel as well. And this is critical because what happens is they see that when Paul is imprisoned, he doesn't lose hope. He doesn't begin to think that King Jesus has failed him. And when one of the worst things that happens to him, he tells us later on, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. There's a real possibility that he could be executed for what he's done. Rome was a very pluralistic society. They didn't care if you worshipped other gods, but they did care deeply if you tried to convert other people to your religion. And Paul was guilty as charged and proud of it. And so he had no idea if he was going to live or die. And yet in that uncertainty, he was not fearful. And because he wasn't fearful, the other Christians around him saw his confidence, his boldness, and saw his joy and thought, shoot, if you can have that confidence and joy chained to a Roman guard, not knowing if you're going to live or die, the hope of Jesus must be real and precious. And Paul says that they were emboldened to speak the word without fear. Now here's where I believe that I might be guilty, and some churches might sometimes be guilty, of not working to advance the kingdom. See, King Jesus never loses, but sometimes we give in to our fears and we fail to be bold as we should. And so when that happens, the choices that we make mean that we don't enjoy the benefits of King Jesus building his church and growing his kingdom. And sometimes we allow things like, am I sick? Am I not sick? What will happen to the church? What will happen to the nation or the world? Sometimes we allow those fears to prevent us from being effective for the gospel. And I want to challenge you today and remind you of the hope that we have and encourage you. Be like Paul. Look for opportunities to share the gospel that you would not have had had this year not been so insane and crazy. Because the kingdom advances even when bad things happen to good people. Secondly, this morning, I want to show you the benefit in both living and dying. So look with me at verses 18 to 21 as Paul continues describing his situation. He says, What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that will with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now the bottom line for Paul is that there was benefit in both living and in dying for Christ. And he was rejoicing that Christ was preached. I've heard so many stories, and I can tell you stories of people that have heard the good news of Jesus because we began streaming our services online, something that we never planned on doing. I didn't really like the idea of doing video streaming because I feel like I'm bad enough at speaking. I don't want people to have to look at me too. And so I just feel especially bad for those of you who are here in person. And I thought maybe that's something we'll eventually get to. Maybe that's something we'll add. But we definitely weren't going to do it this year. And we definitely wouldn't have done it next year. But because of the craziness of this year, we said, 
a virtual service is better than no service at all. Let's go ahead and do this, especially for people who are shut in, who can't get out, especially for people who are high risk. And because we've done it for the people of our church, I know of people outside of our church who have watched our services, who are listening to the word of God. And so I can testify that whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed more broadly than he had been before, and the gospel is advancing. And so now as we live in this space of not knowing what's happening, we can have absolute confidence in the power of that gospel. And notice what Paul asks the Philippian believers to pray for. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now pause right there, because what you might think from that verse is he's only asking the Philippian believers, pray that I don't get killed. Pray that I get set free. Pray that God works it out so that I can get on with my life. And that's not what he's asking. He's not concerned about that. You know that because he is confident that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what's the deliverance that he's talking about? What is he asking them to pray for? He's praying that he would not in any way be ashamed. The thing that he is concerned about is that he would be overcome by fear, that he would be somehow silenced, that he would somehow be overwhelmed, and so his testimony would be compromised. And he is absolutely confident in the power of prayer to deliver him from that fear. He says, pray for me. Not because I'm strong, not because I'm confident that I'm capable. Pray for me, and because God is good and answers your prayers, I know that I will be delivered. Now, saints, some of us have been afraid at different times of tons of things. I don't know if I make the right decisions about any of the stuff that we've gone through this year. I have no idea. There's not a book of pandemics for me to look this up in in the inspired word of God. But I do know that as I seek the Lord and I act from faith and not from fear, that whatever we do as we pursue to be obedient to the word of God, that God will bless his faithful people. We have hope in the word of God. And I would ask that you would pray for me and pray for our church, pray for our neighboring churches. It's so exciting to think about the guys that are up at the men's retreat. Small part of my heart breaks that I didn't get to go this weekend because of everything else. But even in that, I have to trust that God is good and worked his plan out perfectly. And so as I look at this text, the thing that we need to recognize is that we ought not be afraid of catching a virus we ought not be afraid of making the wrong decision. We ought to be afraid that perhaps we won't be a faithful witness as we should. That ought to be the thing that bothers us most. Am I compromising my witness? And I think this political season, now more than ever, so many Christians are tempted to argue over things, and some of them are worth arguing over. Some of them Christians ought to have a voice in. And yet, we have to again and again ask this question, is my witness for Jesus Christ being compromised in this moment? Am I acting because I'm protecting myself and my interests or am I acting because I want you to know the hope that we have in Jesus? We ought to guard our witness with a passion and trust that as we pray, God will guard us as well. No matter what you do, if you are acting from faith, you do it well and your savior is pleased with you and you can have confidence that as we pray for one another god will deliver us even if that deliverance means getting a virus and dying you know i was reading 
I, I follow a plan that takes me through the entire Bible in a year. And, and I was reading a passage in 1 Kings. And it's a passage that it's so easy to skip over because it's not about any of the heroes that we know. It's not about David. It's not about Elisha. It's about a king that actually was a complete failure in so many ways. And he is hoping that he will be able to rule northern Israel. And he is, he is a bloodthirsty cutthroat in trying to establish his dynasty. And in order to establish his dynasty, he tries to make sure that the people of God will not worship in the south where the temple is. So he says, if they go to the south, if they go to the temple, they will not be loyal to me as king. So I will set up idols here in northern Israel and the people will remain loyal to me because we all worship together here. Now, God had promised that if he were faithful as a king, that God would bless him. But he didn't believe in God's promise, and he didn't trust in that. And so instead, he disobeyed God's clear commands. And God said, because of your disobedience, I will not establish your family as a king in in Israel. And here's the point. Here's where it gets super crazy. This king, in 1 Kings chapter 14, his name uh, is Jeroboam. And his son Abijah becomes sick. Now Jeroboam loves his family, loves his son. He he is a godless man, but he knows how to seek God. And so when his son is sick, he sends his wife to talk to a prophet. He says, this prophet maybe will help us. Maybe the prophet will pray for us. Maybe the prophet will just tell us what's going to happen. And here's where it gets insane. His wife goes to the prophet, and she asks him, what's going to happen to our son? Is he going to be healed? Is he going to be well? And here's what happens. Verse 7 of 1 Kings chapter 14. The prophet says, Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you a leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet You have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes, but you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and I will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free in Israel, and I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat, and anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it. And she must have been thinking, like, this is awful, But this is not the question I asked you. I have a sick son. What's happening to my sick son? And here's where things get crazy. God says to her concerning her son, Arise, therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Now that verse is one of the most insane verses in all of the Old Testament because you know what that says? It says the Lord allowed a little boy to get sick and die to spare him the judgment of his father's house. 
The sickness that God allowed in his life was an act of mercy to spare him from what was about to happen. And God had favor on this boy and found something pleasing in him. He is the God that governs every illness. And so often we only pray one way, God, give me the things I want. God, give me the outcome I hope for. And we don't have the faith to trust that the blessing and favor of God might be in allowing a sickness. It might be in allowing what we fear to happen. And in this passage, God is showing his favor upon a child that pleased him while he shows his righteousness and justice in judging a godless king. And if you have questions about that, I would urge you, read this chapter carefully. I believe that there is times when God and his divine wisdom allows death as an act of mercy. Now that is not for us as humans to decide when that's the right moment. That is for God and God alone to decide. But in this case, he spared a child judgment by allowing him to die from a sickness. And I think if you take the word of God seriously, you have to have a God big enough to understand that sometimes his mercy is severe. And sometimes his mercy does not look like what we would long for in our lives. Paul's God is that big. He recognized that if he dies, he goes into the presence of Christ and enjoys pleasures at the right hand of God forevermore that we can't even imagine. And if he lives, he knows that God will use his labor and bless him. So either way, Paul doesn't pretend to know the will of God or what is best. Paul has confidence that God is at work regardless of what happens. And of course, he prays for what he thinks is good. Later on, he's going to say, I don't know which way I should go, but he has the confidence to know that either way, God is good and God will bless. And that's the confidence that I want us to have this year. The second thing I would ask you to recognize from these verses here is the urgency of prayer. It is absolutely critical. We don't want to pray simple prayers like, God, just bless us, make us happy, make us wealthy, make us healthy. We want to pray, God, make us faithful. So if my faithfulness depends on getting cancer, let it be. Grow my faith through whatever means necessary so that I am a faithful witness to Jesus Christ in life or in death. That's the kind of prayer that Paul is praying. That's the kind of prayer that he has absolute confidence that God will answer and God will bless. I'm not a Christian today because I happen to be smart and naturally good. I'm a Christian because by the mercy of God, he saved me and he keeps me. And as I ask him to continue keeping me, I know that he will answer that question again and again with a resounding yes. Because he's a good father that loves to say yes to his kids. Sometimes we don't ask for what's best and what's right, but that doesn't mean that he's not a loving God. And I would urge you to know the God of the Bible, not the God of pop Christianity. Recognize his goodness and his faithfulness. So Paul has shown us that the kingdom of Jesus advances when bad things happen to good people. He shows us the benefit in both possibilities. And then he gives us this glimpse into how we should live when we don't know what's going to happen. So I want to end this morning looking at verses 22 through 26 where Paul opens up this can of worms where he's not sure what's happening in his life. 
He says, verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says his desire is to depart and be with Christ. And I think the only reason he could say that is because of his lived experience knowing the Savior's goodness. And here's what I mean. If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you have a knowledge that God loved you so much that his son died for your sins and rose from the dead. That is a real, a real hope in dark times. But if you have not lived long, it's an untested hope. It's sweet. It's precious. I don't want to diminish it. It's the power of God unto salvation. Just the simple proclamation that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. But if you are young or if you have not been a Christian long, you don't have a sense of the goodness of Jesus because you've just met him. Let me put it this way. When my wife and I started dating, we had all kinds of warm fuzzies. I thought she was beautiful. She thought I was very good looking. We both were right. But we didn't know each other very well. And Lauren is an amazing, incredible woman. But I had no way of knowing that when we first met. We, we learned a little bit about the faith that we shared together. I saw her weep in some services as she listened to the word of God, and I, I was very encouraged to see how she responded to the word. We experienced some hard things in our dating relationship, and I began to believe that she was a woman of character. But the truth of the matter was, I had only known her for a short time when I was ready to say, let's get married. And on our wedding day, we had known each other for about four years well. I mean, we'd been acquaintances longer than that, but we'd known each other for about four years. But on our wedding day, I still did not know her well. It's through the trials of our life over the past 10 years of marriage that I can begin to say, I know her as a woman. I can think of some of the precious moments when our son was first born and she was struggling to nurse him and it was painful and it was difficult and I thought she was just gonna give up and be like, where's the formula? And instead, she wanted to make sure that she could bless him with mother's milk. And so I watched her crying and trying again and again to be able to feed our son. And it was in moments like that where I saw her character shine through in beautiful ways that I never in a million years could have anticipated when we just met and I thought, man, she's kind of cute. Our relationship is deeper and stronger because of our lived experience today. And there's no person in the world that I would rather spend time with than my wife. And Paul could say that about Jesus. Here's what I mean. Paul had experienced the dramatic call of God on his life. You can read about his life in the book of Acts. 
You can read how he hated God, how he went around trying to throw Christians in jail, how he believed that Jesus was a hoax. And God in his mercy called him on the Damascus Road opened his eyes to see that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. And Paul went from being someone who hated Jesus and everyone who loved him to being the apostle sent to the Gentiles, the one who could not wait to go to some place who had never heard about Jesus to tell the good news of Jesus again and again and again. His life was changed. And not only did he have that amazing conversion moment again and again and again in his life, as his life was terrible, he experienced the preciousness of Christ. He experienced the presence of Jesus in his life and he knew Jesus' ability to save and in a deeper and a deeper way, he understood God's grace and mercy and faithfulness. And so the longer he lived, you can read about all of his trials in 2 Corinthians, how he was shipwrecked, how he was beaten, how he was stoned, how he was left for dead, how again and again and again his ministry caused him physical pain, and yet in every trial he learned more about the grace of God and the goodness of God. And so Jesus became sweeter and more precious Every time he experienced something terrible to the point where he got in his life, he just wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. Not many Christians have that kind of desire for Christ. You may know a little bit about him. You may believe the gospel. You may be saved. But until you have walked through deep trials and dark valleys, you will not know the preciousness of Jesus. And Paul had a love for Christ that longed to see him face to face. But he also had a love for the people of God. And so he didn't know what was better. He wanted to be with Jesus in person. If he were living through a pandemic, he would have said, I don't care if I get this. I don't know whether I live or die. I want to go be with Jesus. And if this is what takes me to Jesus, awesome. But when he looks at the church, he sees people who need to grow in their faith and he sees people who need to grow in their knowledge and he said, if I can serve Jesus by being here and being a blessing to the people that Jesus loves, that's what I need to do and that's what I will do. See, Paul's love for Christ led to a love of the people of God. And if you love Jesus, you will love the people of God. And so this is why he didn't know what to do, but he trusted that God would do what was best for the church and he was willing to do whatever God wanted to do for the church. And saints, as we make decisions in our lives, you might be making decisions in your private, personal life that you think, it's just me, it doesn't matter. No, it's not. If you know Jesus as your savior, you need to follow your savior, Jesus. And if you love the people that Jesus died for, you need to make your decisions in light of how they impact the church. That's not craziness. That's recognizing that the church is your family. I wouldn't make decisions for my family without talking to my wife. And we ought not make decisions that influence the church without thinking about what would be best for our brothers and sisters. What would be best for the kingdom of God? What would help the good news of Jesus shine brighter and go farther? And Paul's heart was that the gospel would be preached loudly and clearly and that Christians would be built up. 
You know, as we think about things that are coming up in the, in the future for our church, uh, my hope and plan is to start Sunday school this coming week. I've got two classes I was hoping to announce, but in the insanity of this week, I can't announce either of them. And you know what? In one sense, that's really bad because it means I can't encourage people to participate. And yet, in another sense, here's the thing. Even as I look at my plans and go, oh, nuts, none of that actually happened. I had great plans earlier this year for a series of teaching on prayer and Sunday evenings. We got through two of them and never did the other three. And I could look at that and say, shoot, I guess the church isn't going to grow that way. And you know what? It's not. But I'm not the head of the church. Jesus is. And he knows what the church needs better than I do. And so if the plans that I made don't work out and we don't have the great launch for Sunday school that I would hope for, it's okay, because Jesus is going to make sure that his sheep get fed. If we're faithful, he will bless us. If our plans fail, he's got better ones. And we can trust that King Jesus is going to build his church as we seek to be faithful. So as I close this message, I want to challenge you. Is your hope in Christ the way Paul's was? Can you say confidently that if you get sick or if you are well, that Jesus is going to be served either way? Can you say confidently that no matter what happens in your life, more people know about Jesus because of how you handle good news and bad news? I want to challenge you as you think about the people who know that don't know Jesus. Are you missing opportunities to share the good news with them that you have right now that you would never have had any other year? I want to encourage you. You know, one of the ways that the good news is going out is digitally right now. And this might sound goofy, but you can share our services and say, hey, my pastor said something that really blessed me, and I just want you to watch it. Would you watch this service with me? And we can spread the good news of that way. And that's one way. But even better, you can tell someone about the hope that you have, how your life was changed by Jesus, and how you're growing and knowing him better. And I want to encourage you, saints, live your life like the Apostle Paul recognize that you have the same testimony that God has saved you and wants to use you. And while we don't know what's happening, just like he didn't know what would happen to him, we have the same Savior. His goal for the church is that more people would know Jesus. His goal for the church is that more of us would grow to maturity and knowing the truth better and better. In fact, the next couple of verses, he talks about how the church needs to be committed to trying to pursue what is best trying to make sure that the gospel goes out widely, how they ought not be frightened. And he applies everything he said about himself to the church in Philippi, and I believe to our church. And so I want to encourage you. Recognize that your hope is solid no matter what happens in your life. And let's be faithful as believers to spread that solid hope no matter what happens in the rest of this year. Would you pray with me? Father, you are good at all times. Lord, I praise you for your word because we would have no idea of your goodness unless we read about it here. Thank you for the solid foundation that we find in Christ Jesus who loved us and died for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in the life that he's given us. I ask that your gospel would go farther and shine brighter because of what you're doing in 2020 in the church. Lord, I do pray for our nation and our world. I ask that we would humble ourselves before you and trust in your goodness, that we would repent of our sin and our pride and seek your grace and mercy. And I pray for your blessing on our church and on the church all around the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.